we had an audit come out to one of our big, strong discovery Bible study areas in Africa. He decided he would attend a church that actually used discovery as a, as a basis mm-hmm. of doing church. Mm-hmm. And he sat down in a group and the leader of the group was 22 years old. And the question was, how are you going to obey this in your life? And this very well-known, very educated American leader, he said, he, he gave his answer. And the 22-year-old says, stop says, you may get away with that answer in America, but we have real life here and you've got to answer it really. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple makers. Hello, you are listening to the CDM podcast. I'm Rebecca Ewing. I'm here with David Watson, uh, author of uh, Contagious Disciple Making, along with Paul Watson, his son. And uh, we are so glad to have him on our uh, time today with our podcast. We have been having several podcasts with David uh, when it comes to learning about what's happened back at the beginning there with uh, India and the Butch Puri movement. And we have branched off just a little bit to talk more about the DBS process, about the discovery Bible study process and what the heart was behind it and the development of it and what its role is nowadays. Now, thank you so much for listening to us. Like, share, uh, and rate and review this podcast so it can get out to everyone. I just want to mention something exciting uh, that we have just been able to offer a yearly subscription to our premium podcast. Patreon didn't allow us to do that in the past. It now just recently has allowed us to do so. So we're doing a special but to the end of the year that if you get an annual uh, subscription to our podcast, you'll get two months for free along with that. So you go to patreon.com slash faithworks, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash faithworks, uh, and you can sign up there or you can click the link in the description of this podcast. So David, uh, thanks so much for um, having these great talks about uh, how this discovery process works, uh, what is the heart of it, how it's been able to adapt in, in different cultures because hey, obedience is different in every culture and, and how it exactly plays out and, uh, and how it reaches the people. But, but now we're, we're taking a look at uh, in this topic is what role do you believe that Discovery Bible Study in that process has in first world countries like America, not basically with both with believers and with non-believers. And I know that can be slightly different in how you want to answer that, but. It kind of depends on the culture you're dealing with, not just, not just whether you're first world or not, but what, what culture you're coming out of. Mm-hmm. When we look at the discovery of Bible study, the purpose that it was designed for was to strip culture away from Bible study. Mm-hmm. Because that's the reason we say, how are you going to do this? What do you think it's saying? How are you going to obey God? So it's all about me. Instead of me telling you what you should do mm-hmm. from my cultural perspective, we're trying to use a process that takes culture out. Right. So the, the basic overall goal is the same where creation to crisis is about coming into a walk beside God and his word to know who God is to a place of falling in love with Christ and starting your walk as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, your, your walk takes a, a broader and deeper movement 
right. through your life and through the life of the church or the, or the, or the groups that you're a part of. Because we, we're not just asking, what is Jesus saying? We're asking, what is Jesus doing to make disciples? Mm-hmm. The, and that's a very different kind of question than say, what did Jesus teach versus what is Jesus doing? Or what did Paul teach versus what is Paul doing? Or what did Peter teach versus what Peter is doing? Or you can even go into the Old Testament prophets and, and give that same question. What is a prophet doing to achieve the goals that God has asked him to achieve? versus just what are they saying and that's something that most of us in the first world don't realize is that much of our cues are picked up in a cultural mode Mm -hmm. and if we don't realize that and we start taking this methodology someplace else and but we leave our cultural code in it Mm -hmm. then the methodology fails and and it's it's about culture not just about um, just about language Mm-hmm. So as you as you think through using the Discovery Bible study, the people say, well, they're very simple questions. I said they're simple for a reason, mm-hmm. because the simpler the questions are, the, the easier they are to answer, but also the easier they are to get the right answer across cultural divides. Exactly. And cultural divides also include uh, generational divides now. Yes. Because it's so the, so the worldview, the worldview of the X gen is very different than the worldview of a boomer like me. You know, that's a which is probably faster than it's been for many times. And you know, over the years of history, over the dec- over the centuries of history, that it's increasingly getting faster how culture changes and shifts. And the thing is, is that I I I feel like in America, like for instance, especially in a post Christian kind of place, that we have even more culture to overcome because we don't just have a, a Western culture versus an Eastern culture or something. We have cultures within our denominations. So we have the cultures of a assembly of God versus a Presbyterian versus an Anglican and all. And so there's additional layers of culture that can't, that we're hopefully trying to avoid when we're doing the discovery process. And that's a, that's a good uh, observation for all of us to take note of is that culture is changing and the cultures are blending more. The more we have international communications and international travel, we're getting a blending of cultures. The pop culture, well, whatever the current pop culture is, usually is a blending of multiple cultures. And then you have just the, the, the culture of how Christians operate in different denominations or different settings. Mm-hmm. And they're very distinctive cultures. Right now, the last I read, there's like 13 major marketing cultures in North America now. And they're beginning to do that. That's beginning to be debunked because the number of immigrants is so high that the number of cultures is actually much larger than that. In the last uh, postal code I lived in, we had 42 languages spoken in one mm-hmm. postal code. Mm-hmm. And you talk about trying to deliver mail when, when every letter has a different language on it. To, yeah, to I mean, to mail to. America's really not becoming as much of a melting pot as a fruitcake at this time. Just all different kinds of, of elements squished in together in these cities. Yeah, or, or as a Chinese would say, jump soy. It's just, uh, it's wash water. Just everything just collects in the pan. You know? <laughs> but, not but, a- not becoming as homogeneous as it used to be. Discovery Bible study as consistent as possible. So if everybody's tweaking it because mm. they want to get their 
their way of things of thinking about it and they start changing the discovery process, they get a different outcome. Mm-hmm. Because the discovery process with the questions that were established and been around, I mean, those we started in 1991, mm-hmm. uh, those questions were designed to be simple and succinct and easily answered by everyone, regardless mm-hmm. of their educational background. And the depth of the answer, answer was based upon the depth of the commitment and depth of knowledge of the person that was answering the question. Mm-hmm. And so it could work anywhere. And that was the whole point is that it didn't matter whether you were illiterate or young or old or had 27 years of education versus three years of education. It doesn't matter those things if everyone's asking the same questions and getting and, and seeking to give the same answers to those questions. So along those lines and what you're saying, David, you know, if someone were to come to me or you and say, or I guess to you in this case, since I'm asking you this question, <laughs> Uh, you know, do you think that discovery process with unbelievers would be accepted and work well within, for instance, you know, American and America? What would you say? Well, I'd say definitely. We, we've seen the discovery process become the primary process for most mission agencies, both domestic and foreign. So it, it's being used everywhere. Uh, and it gets a lot of tweaking. I mean, people people do a lot of things to that process. For instance, they decide, well, you know, we're a little too sensitive about uh, obedience. We can leave off that question, only ask it once or twice a month, something like that. Mm-hmm. But that that actually, it's, it makes the whole system fail. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, why, why do we need to ask, what are the needs of your community and how are you going to meet them? Mm-hmm. Again, you take that away, and all of a sudden, the the one of the the legs of the of the three legged stool have been taken away, and and it doesn't work anymore. Right, and, and an those effort are to the, hope to make it work, we take something away which doesn't make it work. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like teaching. The moment you start teaching in a discovery group, you lose the group. Period. All of it. Mm-hmm. And it turns into a Bible study, which is very different than discovery process. And I'd like to get your thoughts on this. You know, I know probably a lot of Christians are afraid looking at the culture around us and, you know, the kind of things that people are even doing to each other nowadays, that they're afraid to even ask them questions of obedience and helping and sharing other people. Because they're like, if Christians have a hard time doing this, what, you know, in the culture that we have right now, how can we expect them to do it? Well, that's that's exactly right. And the the whole process of Bible study as a personal devotion is is certainly important, but content and and flow and sequencing all have a place in this process. And you know, I give out a lot of discovery work to my to my people that I'm mentoring and coaching. I mean, I, I give out a ton of it. So they, they say, they ask me a question. I say, okay, uh, go do a three column or four column study on first and second Thessalonians and come back in three weeks and tell me what God said to you. Instead of me answering, I knew where the answer is. I could take it right down to the verse, maybe half a verse, but that doesn't help people understand and learn the Bible. If you, if you just give them the answer, we actually have to ask the question, well, read this and, and, Tell me what you learned from that. So do you think that people, even within this kind of very, um, how can I put it, uh, contentious culture that we have right now, that unbelievers would embrace the helping and 
the uh, changing, ch changing or obedience question in the sharing part of the Discovery Bible study? I'm not catching on what you mean by changing the. the Sorry, the, I meant the, the, you know, what do you, how should we then change? So, in other words, the obedience question. Yeah, the, I, I think we all have to answer that question ultimately because the command of Jesus to his disciples was teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. And that's and that's the interesting part. It doesn't teach them everything I've taught you. It says teach them to obey everything I've taught you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you leave out obey, and all of a sudden you, you get a watered-down gospel. You get a watered-down response to the gospel, and you get failure across a lot of systems from simply changing your meaning of, of the word obey to, to something different than really this is serious. We have to obey it. So we can't allow our fears that they won't help people, that they won't obey, that they won't share, keep us from actually asking because it doesn't change our responsibility and how we disciple people. Well, and that's, that's important distinction because what I've discovered in, in running hundreds, if not thousands of groups over the last 50 years, that people will generally do what they say they will do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when you ask someone, tell me what you think about that. And you ask someone, how are you going to change your life as a result of that? Those are both expectation questions. And interestingly enough, most people who voluntarily engage into a discovery process, they come up to the challenge of, of what they're being discovered mm -hmm. and challenged by in, in that study and the group and everything else. And when we take away that, there's no challenge. There's no expectation of, accountability there's no expectation of learning and moving forward there's no expectation of helping other people to discover the things right. same things that you've discovered and all that gets washed away and you, you get a, you get a gospel that is that is very uh, watery and and no nourishment whatsoever in it mm -hmm. and it's like reading and not understanding mm -hmm. i mean you could read all day long if you don't understand it doesn't mean anything and that's something that people don't understand is that doing something or changing your life is what helps you understand it. It's not just a mental grasping of something. Yeah. And even the learning process, things you learn in connection with kinetic events, moving, mm -hmm. sports, whatever it might be, you you hold on to those in your in your mind a lot longer than things you just sit in a dream room. <laughs> and and you know, just think, you know, just you know, you're you're playing out your fantasy or your dream but it's not getting connected to real life. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason we can so easily separate our fantasy lives away from reality. And, and, you know, and, there's, that, a, and that's there's why words get, for that. But. And that's why we get a lot of times in places like America, people who have the, I guess you would say fantasy, or in other words, the, uh, the ideal, the mental area of saying, I'm a Christian and I go to church, but yet their lives overall don't reflect that. And it's not even just the, maybe the fact that they're sleeping around with people as much as there's, they wouldn't look no different than perhaps another somewhat moral person that is on their street. Well, that, that indictment has already been made and proven. The, the divorce rate in, in the church is the same as the divorce rate outside the church. The, the, uh, the breaking of rate. laws, the breaking of, of, character issues they're they're basically the, the same inside and outside the church 
all you have to do is jump on the Pew Foundation websites and start reading some of the stuff they've discovered inside churches. Oh, yes. And you realize yes. that, uh, you know, why, why are people in church not reformed? Why are they? When we say that, we don't mean the, the theology. We mean... No, I'm talking about the, the whole idea of, of the life that's changed mm-hmm. based upon their commitment to, to, uh, to Christ and, and to his church and to his people. Mm-hmm. And the, the reality for, for what I see, talking about the discovery in North America or, or Western Civ, what you end up with is, is people who do not want to be accountable. So therefore mm-hmm. they opt out of the discovery groups. They opt out of anything that's a little more meaty. Uh, and, and they opt out of reading they said, Oh, you know, the pastor reads in the pulpit. So you get three minutes of scripture mm-hmm. once a week, but that's not the average. Most people only go to church once a month. Mm-hmm. So that you're getting three minutes once a month on average. And so it's not, it's not a, it's not a thing that, that is healthy for any of us to be in those kind of settings. So what do you believe that then it, are the challenges of Christians, let's just say in America, it's kind of a post, it's a quasi Christian culture type of place, uh, depending upon where you at, how you grew up and stuff. But you know, what do you think are their challenges as they are starting to do discovery Bible study with unbelievers? Those are who are truly unbelievers. What do you think some of the challenges that you've seen in doing so? Part of the, the single biggest challenge I see is how willing unbelievers are to speak frankly about their lives. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll, spring, they'll speak, speak frankly about their sin. They'll speak frankly about their failings. They'll speak frankly about their desires. And, and they just open up and talk about all that. <clears throat> Christians don't. I mean, we're, right. we, we've developed a culture of, of faking good. Absolutely. And I've, I've had people that I've been coaching at, uh, coaching, they get nervous and, and perhaps thinking this is somehow wrong whenever, you know, they, they'll come to me and say they've talked about, you know, how much that they have a unforgiveness towards somebody or they, so how they didn't like something in the scriptures or how they're struggling with it. What do I do? <laughs> and, you know, and I, and I'm like, this is, this is not a bad thing. They're just telling you what they actually are struggling with. And that's okay. Part of the purpose of discovery Bible study is to put us face to face with God in the yeah. same way that Moses was face to face with God. Mm-hmm. And every time Moses had a meeting with God, he changed. Mm-hmm. physically, mentally, spiritually, he changed every time. Yeah. And if we can go through the reading the Bible and change nothing in our lives, we haven't encountered God. Mm-hmm. And the discovery Bible study is not just about reading the Bible. It's about discovering what God has for us in the Bible and discovering how what's in the Bible can make our relationships better in the rest of the world mm-hmm. if we choose to obey them. When you look at the one another commands, there's 77 one another commands. When you just study those and say, we're going to, we're going to love one another. We're going to, we're going to support one another. We're going to help one another. We're going to bear one another's burdens. And you start looking at all these, these things that the Bible says about how we're to live in community. Mm-hmm. We don't live that way. And most of us we're couldn't come up with vulnerable. five one. 
Yeah, right. most of us couldn't come up with five one another passages off the top of our head. Mm-hmm. And, and the same goes with the commands of Christ. There's 150 plus commands of Christ, direct commands. And most of us can't tell you what the, most of us couldn't tell you what the Ten Commandments are. And yet, if these are these are the guidelines for our becoming citizens of the kingdom, then we're missing a lot by not doing it now. Right. So, you know, so in other words, uh, Christians that are doing this with doing the discovery Bible study with unbelievers may feel uncomfortable with the fact that there's not, that they're being completely transparent about the things that are going on and how they're dealing with this and made me uncomfortable. What, what are other things that you feel that Christians may struggle with in doing discovery Bible studies with unbelievers, particularly? They expect unbelievers to immediately act like Christians in a meeting. Well, there you go. They want them to change their language. They want them to change their style of dress. They want them to change. They want them to change all these things, and then we can be comfortable talking to them in church <laughs> or in a in a home. Well, because isn't that the get the point? They want to get them to church as soon as possible, generally. Well, and we want them to behave like us, regardless of whether they think like us or not. But all these things we get into when you're doing discovery Bible studies, because you're asking the question. What does this tell us about man? What does this tell us about God? If this is from God, what are we going to do about it? Do I understand this well enough to talk to another person about it so they could understand it? Those those insights that we get garner inside of a discovery a group takes us into a broader worldview of how God is working everywhere, and and changing change is there, and we are to be the change agents. And I Through think the power that, of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, we're the change agents. And I think that's a, you know, and I want to hear what you have to, you think about this. You know, um, I feel that also a lot of Christians have trouble with doing DBS with unbelievers because a lot of their, they're actually, they don't actually have the DNA fully of a disciple maker yet. So in other words, they struggle with looking at a passage and knowing what an obedience statement would look like from it they they struggle with knowing what it looks like to just help people in our community on a daily basis they struggle with sharing stories with unbelievers so you know they manage to be able to find someone to be able to do a discovery bible study with but you know they don't feel like hey if i have a trouble with this how am i supposed to help this person with it yeah and and that's the reality is uh Cardinal Newman, many years ago, wrote a book called uh, The Wounded Healer. And we're all wounded. We all sin. But when we decide to become a disciple of Christ, then we become a healer while we're still wounded. Mm-hmm. And it's in the helping to heal other people that we ourselves become healed. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the disciple-making process. The more disciples we make, the better disciple we become. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, you can't become a disciple without making disciples. Imagine that, guys. <laughs> you just it, it's it's just exclusive. You say, okay, I you know, the people read the Bible, they can read these books, they'll be, but if you're not making disciples, you're not a disciple. That's because a disciple is one who follows a teacher and encourages other to come alongside and follow that teacher in the same way they are. Mm-hmm. So they can discuss it, they can learn it, they can they can practice it, 
and make a difference in their city or in their university or in their nation or whatever, whatever the, the, where their life is taking place. And that's the reason we keep telling people, look, disciple making is, is not an action. It's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I live a lifestyle of disciple making. I'm not just simply go out and choose, oh, I need to make a disciple of that person over there. Every person I meet, I'm open to the, of opening the conversation in such a way that the relationship can progress to a point of making disciples. Mm-hmm. Now, do they all go that direction? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But I treat every single new person I meet as if at some point we're going to be the very best of friends and deeply engaged in spiritual conversation as our spiritual relationship with God impacts our spiritual relationship with each other. So what I hear you saying is, is that the disciple making is not just this compartmentalized. This is what I do perhaps with this one person. This is a holistic thing. I, I, the entirety of my life, the pervasive theme of my life is how can I disciple other people into knowing God and following him? And so, and like you said, some people, may not accept that invitation and may not, you know, come along with, with the conversations that we're saying, not being drawn to God and stuff like that. But at the same time, whether I'm talking with the person at, you know, the store or someone in church or someone who is my coworker or whoever that I happen to come across, I'm thinking, how can I be able to make disciples in this relationship? And to remember that our disciple making is focused on Christ. It's not focused on ourselves. It's not focused on the church. It's not focused on others. But as you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, behaviors are going to change. Priorities are going to change. Levels of commitment and love and devotion are going to change. Uh, our understanding of civic duty is going to change. And all these things are are are, are going to change as we become in a closer walk with God. And there's, there's several elements that are there that we need to recognize. One, uh, if you're not in the word of God, you're not going to know God very well. He, he reveals himself in his word, and the word is the measuring rod of right and wrong, not, not our feelings. It's the word that measures right and wrong, whether it's in theology or in behavior or in attitudes or in thoughts. The second thing we need to recognize is that God is walking with us. He, he promises, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And he does that through his Holy Spirit. So you've got the word and you've got the Holy Spirit. Those two things are working with us. But the third thing is, as we become disciples in that, in that kind of relationship, that drives us to reaching out to other people. And, and bringing them into those same series of relationships. And you can actually, the, the, if you had to boil down church to its essence, it's, it's the people of God obeying the word of God, drawing near to God, and reaching out to those who don't know God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and you can actually, I mean, if that's all we said church was and just did it like that, we would change a lot, change a lot of things. Absolutely. So let's let, let me switch this this question now a little bit to a different uh, tone on it or a different angle on it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, so how do you what role do you think or the that DBS plays within places like America when it comes to Christians who want to use this within the Christian sphere with other Christians and things like that? What do you think are the challenges of that? 
the, the challenges of anything that becomes a, a patterned uh, behavior in order to fit into a certain mold it can be negative. So, mm-hmm. so legalism and obedience are only a hair's width apart. Mm. I obey because I love God. That's my love language for God is to obey him. But if I'm legalistic, I am obeying to please the people around me or to mm-hmm. fit into a certain identity group or even to, to force other people to conform to my way of obedience. So, so the very difference between legalism and obedience is, is a difference between love and self. So how Loving do you see that playing into DBS then? With? Well, it plays into DBS because in, in the Christian environment, we often do things in order to, to cause conformity. Mm. It's, it's like education. People say, what's the purpose of education? I say, well, it's to learn to read and write and do math. I said, no, it's not. That is not the purpose of education. If you analyze education, whether it's in America or anywhere else in the world, the purpose of education is to be, make people conform to a social standard. Mm-hmm. You don't get kicked out of school for making bad grades. You get kicked out of school for not conforming to the social standard. Mm. And the same thing happens in churches. If you're in the in crowd, you're conforming to the social circles that are there, which then turns what we're trying to do with DBS into a legalistic system of becoming a belonger. So we we want you to step through these things so you think like us, act like us, and do like us. And that in itself then builds a wall around that group that makes it very hard for outsiders to meet God in that context. So do you believe then that Christians would take the DBS process and then instead of just it being a discovery and you choose your obedience, that they'll use it as a teaching point to be able to say, this is our cultural expectations and you need to do them? Or a hammer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, you can always, you can turn anything into a, into a weapon mm-hmm. instead of into something that brings healing. And that's that's part of what our sin does to us. If when when what other people think of us is more important than what God thinks of us, mm-hmm. we're going to choose to do things that that draw us near to people rather than keep us near to God. Mm-hmm. And when you look when you look at the word, I mean, Hebrews chapter two, it says, you know, we don't get up every day and say we're going to go out and sin. It says Hebrews chapter two says we we dr- we drift away from God. Mm-hmm. And when, when Moses said that all the, all the priests and kings should, should write their own copy of the Torah, and why? So you will not bear to the left or right from that which God has given us. And so as we, as we look at human social structures and we look at the way people identify leadership, the way they, the way they identify good and bad and, and that measuring rod changes depending on what culture you're in. Mm-hmm. So when you have all those things going on and we start judging by our cultural norm instead of by the biblical norm. Thanks for listening to the CDM podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at contagiousdisciplemaking.com.